I'm Elizabeth Slattery. And I'm Tiffany Bates. And welcome to SCOTUS 101, where we break down what's happening at the Supreme Court, what the justices are up to, and other things related to our favorite branch of government. This week, we're talking about SCOTUS in the movies, an important Second Amendment case out of the D.C. Circuit, and we'll interview the Washington Post Supreme Court reporter Robert Barnes. So first up, SCOTUS in the movies. The Supreme Court has not always captured the interest of the American public, and it's rarely the focus of Hollywood's attention. There have been some famous movies throughout the years, uh, such as last year's Loving, uh, 2016 film about the decision striking down the anti-miscegenation laws. There's also The People vs. Larry Flint, which we've talked about before on the podcast. This was Jerry Falwell's lawsuit against Hustler magazine. And the famous Amistad case, uh, this was uh, a movie from the early 90s about an 1839 mutiny aboard a slave ship, which led to to a Supreme Court case. And then, of course, there was HBO's recent hit job on Clarence Thomas, Confirmation. I did a quick search on IMDb to see how many movies or shows there are where the Supreme Court has played a prominent enough role that it features in the uh, in the brief description of, of the show, and only 89 t- titles popped up. Compare that with uh, Congress, they, they rank more than 350, and the president, there's over 900. So there are two movies in the works about Supreme Court justices that are coming up. Yeah, so there's a movie coming out in October about Thurgood Marshall, the first black Supreme Court justice. It focuses on Marshall's early career when he defended a man accused of rape and murder. Um, Chad, Chadwick Boswin, who played uh, the Marvel character Black Panther in the Captain America movies, stars as Thurgood Marshall. And the movie also includes uh, Josh Gad, the snowman from uh, Frozen, and he was in Beauty and the Beast. He was LeFou. Yes. Um, and it also features uh, Dan Stephen, uh, uh, Stevens of Downton Abbey fame. And also of Beauty and the Beast. He played the Beast. Yes, he was great. Um, and there's many others. Uh, there's also been a movie in the works for a while now about the notorious RBG, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Uh, the movie is called is allegedly called On the Basis of Sex. Uh, the latest news is that Felicity Jones, who starred in Rogue One, the Star Wars movie, she will star as the Justice. Previously, the word on the street was that Natalie Portman was going to play the notorious RBG. Uh, and the movie will chronicle the story uh, of Ginsburg as she faced, quote, numerous obstacles to her uh, fight for equal rights throughout her career. So we definitely look forward to seeing those movies. But there have also been quite a few TV shows over the years that have featured the court, um, including an episode of The Simpsons where Bart becomes the chief justice, The West Wing where there was an elaborate scheme to get a justice to retire in order to nominate both a conservative and a liberal justice at the same time. I think this is where um, some of the congressmen got their idea last year. Last year, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then Scandal where the president killed a justice in order to appoint a new one. So next up, um, we're glad to have with us today Bob Barnes. He covers the Supreme Court for The Washington Post. He's worked in a variety of postings there, both on the reporting and editorial side since 1987. We're thrilled to have you with us today, uh, Bob. So first up, your Twitter handle is SCOTUS Reporter. Did you have to play rock, paper, scissors with others like Adam Liptak and Jess Braven to get that handle? (laughs) No, not really. I am a latecomer to Twitter. And so uh, they were well established in their Twitter accounts by the time I came around to it. Uh, And uh, the truth is when you have a name as common as Robert Barnes, it is very hard to come up with something uh, different or that hasn't already been claimed. It's very tough to get a Gmail uh, account. (laughs) You have to be creative to do that. And so uh, our social media people really wanted me to be on Twitter uh, so I could tweet out my stories and uh, and other comments. And so they came up with SCOTUS Reporter because um, I told them, I'm not going to do anything on Twitter except work. 
And they said, okay, well, then let's make it so that people know exactly what you do. Uh, and so it seemed to be a pretty good one. I think people like it. The uh, problem is that sometimes people think that I work for SCOTUS. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so when the court does an opinion that people don't like, um, I get a lot of the reaction to it as if I had something to do with it. Yeah, the, uh, the same thing happened with SCOTUS blog with the, with their Twitter account people a few years ago after – I forget which decision it was that led to uh, the uh, the ire of many Twitter followers. But they were tweeting things at SCOTUS blog and, and they thought it was too irreverent to be representative of the Supreme Court of the United States. Yeah, well, I, I got uh, – after some ruling, I can't even remember what it was now that the chief justice did, wasn't Obamacare, but it was something else. Uh, I got a really nasty email uh, addressed to me and the chief justice about how (laughs) much they disliked that ruling. And so I sent it over to the PIO's office at the Supreme Court and said, I keep getting the chief justice's mail. Can you do something about this? (laughs) I can just see some of the justices or Justice Scalia having like um, covertly run a SCOTUS Twitter. It's been hilarious. <laughs> yeah, there, there are a couple of them who are on Twitter, I think, uh, in some sort of hidden role. Justice Breyer admitted to opening a Twitter account so that he could follow something uh, once, but uh, says that he's never tweeted. And I think that there are probably others who are on Twitter. Interesting. We'll have to do some research in the off season. <laughs> yes. Okay. So at the le- end of last term, um, the court summarily reversed an Arkansas Supreme Court ruling and held that the state's birth certificate scheme violates the Obergefell decision because the state wouldn't issue birth certificates that name both spouses in a same-sex marriage as parents. Now, this was a per curiam opinion, which means it was unsigned. Uh, Justice Gorsuch dissented, joined by Thomas and Alito, saying the summary reversal was an inappropriate way to decide that case. Uh, they would have asked for briefing and heard oral arguments. Now, you wrote an article discussing whether or not Chief Justice Roberts joined the majority's per curiam opinion. Can you tell us about that? And was he secretly dissenting? You know, it's it's hard to know. This is one of the things, you know, the Supreme Court loves to boast about being the most transparent branch of government because they always say we uh, have to come up with the reasonings for our decisions. We put our name on it. We either join someone's opinion or we write uh, our own to say how we came to a decision. And all of that's true except for the times that they don't. (laughs) And this is one of those times that they don't. Uh, When when the issue is like an emergency stay or – uh, some something like this. Uh, sometimes uh, you'll see it in a death penalty case. You don't really know uh, who's on what side. You only know if someone dissented or if someone made public their dissent. Uh, and that's why uh, reporters at the court have this kind of stilted language. There were no noted dissents uh, when you write about one of these cases because you really can't always be sure. Um, and it's this issue, uh, especially with this Obergefell um, uh, angle to this Arkansas case, really sort of caught hold with people debating it because uh, some say that that means it's a 6-3 decision. Uh, Judge Kaczynski of the Ninth Circuit was adamant at, uh, at a Supreme Court review panel that uh, if you don't dissent from uh, – one of these procuriums, note your dissent, then that means you've joined the majority. Uh, others say that they think that that's not true uh, and that there are certainly cases in which 
uh, a justice might be uh, in dissent but not note that dissent. So as a follow-up, are there any other legal challenges on the horizon involving same-sex couples that might also be decided in this cursory manner? Um, I don't know if they would be decided in this cursory manner. I I, I think that this is one um, in which the court just thought it was a fairly easy decision to make uh, that Obergefell covered uh, this. You know, it talks about the full constellation of benefits that are given to a married couple have to be uh, given equally to uh, straight couples and uh, gay couples. And so I, I think probably a majority of the court thought that this was a pretty easy one and perhaps it's one that uh, those who didn't think that it was as clear-cut either didn't get a fourth vote for to grant cert or decided it wasn't really the case that they wanted to take uh, in order to see how far Obergefell extends. Um, you know, I think that there are some other cases that are coming. There was a, that interesting decision in Texas um, where about uh, whether uh, employees of the city of Houston, uh, whether Houston has to give uh, full spousal benefits to married couples who are gay. Um, Houston wants to do it. It was challenged by uh, some taxpayers there. And uh, the Texas Supreme Court uh, sent it back to lower courts um, and said that Obergefell hadn't really settled, or at least the lower court hadn't really looked at what Obergefell meant uh, in this context. And, uh, and that was an interesting one because the Texas Supreme Court had decided not to take the case. There was a, a sort of outpouring of support for them to take the case. It's an elected uh, state Supreme Court, and they decided uh, on second thought that they would take it up and then kind of pass the buck a little. So I think that there are uh, cases out there that we're going to see that uh, challenge just how far a Burgerfell goes. So you wrote another piece recently about Chief Justice John Roberts' address at his son's graduation from Cardigan Mountain School, which is a Mm -hmm. boarding school in New Hampshire. It was a very heartfelt and touching speech for our listeners. It's only 18 minutes long and you can watch it on YouTube. I highly recommend it. Can you tell us a little bit about Roberts, uh, what he had to say to the boys? Well, I thought it was an interesting speech. Uh, You know, this is a very exclusive um, prep school. I guess it's a prep school if it's six through eight. I don't know. Maybe you have to be a little older for it to be a prep school, but certainly a boarding school, an exclusive one, cost $55,000 a year uh, to in tuition and board. And these were ninth graders who were leaving the school. Uh, and, you know, the chief justice gave an interesting speech in which he talked about that usually, uh, you know, these speeches are about, you know, all the great things that are going to happen in your life. And he thought that they should think about uh, great, some bad things that might happen in their life. Um, that, you know, maybe at some point they'd be lonely uh, in order to know the uh, value of friendship and that they be betrayed uh, so that they know loyalty. It was a very interesting speech, I thought. And, you know, interestingly enough, as you probably know, the the court doesn't always the members of the court don't don't always say where they're going to be. They don't always give us their schedule. They most of the times they don't. So this speech went uh, sort of unnoticed for a while. Then the school put it on YouTube, 
and then I started getting some emails from people who had seen it saying, you know, that they thought it was touching, uh, even from some people who don't particularly like the chief justice. <laughs> and so it got a lot of response, that column. And I think it's partly because, you know, these guys do seem mysterious to a lot of people out there. And I think any chance they get to sort of read about the justices or see the justice in this case, if you wanted to watch that YouTube video, I think people are, uh, find that very interesting. I think it's too bad that there's not more of a connection in a way between the public and the court. Mm -hmm. And it was certainly touching when, when Roberts was talking about, you know, parents and the experience of, of driving away from the school, having left their, you know, 11 or 12-year-old sons mm -hmm. there. And just to see that that human side of him was, uh, was really interesting. Yeah. And I thought, too, the thing he said about um, uh, chance, the, the sort of importance of chance in your lifetime, and that, that uh, you, you should consider that so that you know your success isn't all your own making and that someone else's failure isn't their own making, uh, too. Definitely some great lessons for the young men. So aside from writing about tearjerker speeches uh, like this recent one, mm -hmm. what do Supreme Court reporters do during the summer break? Well, it depends on the uh, year. Um, in an election year, uh, because I work for the Washington Post and we are extremely interested in politics and elections, uh, I find that I often write about um, voting and voting challenges. And there have been a lot of those uh, in recent years. A lot of them come to the Supreme Court, not all of them. And so some of the summers I've spent covering that issue uh, as in both the appellate courts and then uh, a number of them have gotten to the Supreme Court right before an election. So I did a lot of that. But, you know, as, as I think uh, others have probably told you, we also work on obituaries of the <laughs> justices. Uh, not that we wish any of them harm, but uh, newspapers or media companies, I guess we are now, um, like to have those ready just in case something uh, terrible happens. And so it's a chance for us to go back and do some of those kind of uh, reporting. And then I'm, you know, I have some ideas about um, cases that are coming up in the fall that I want to do preview pieces and features on before they get to the court. And, you know, we have a very uh, jam-packed first two weeks uh, of October mm -hmm. with some really important cases coming up. And so I, I hope to do some work on those before uh, the court comes back. So speaking of that, uh, what are your predictions for some of the blockbuster cases next term? We've got the travel ban, Masterpiece Cake Shop, uh, the the Wisconsin political gerrymandering that Justice Ginsburg has said is going to be, you know, the biggest case of the term. Mm -hmm. what, what do you think? Any predictions? I think, it, you know, maybe the biggest case of the term so far. But remember that the court adds cases all the way through January um, to its current term. And I think that, you know, there are other cases that are going to be coming up too. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, before the term is over, we see a case on transgender rights that the court, you know, took a case last year about a transgender student and then uh, got rid of it, sent it back to the lower courts after the Trump administration changed the uh, Department of Education's guidance on that issue. And so that's back at the Fourth Circuit will be argued, I think, in September. So I wouldn't be surprised if that one comes back. Um, and, you know, uh, the question of whether Title VII covers uh, sexual orientation 
is uh, we have a circuit conflict on that now. Um, it looks like the uh, the second circuit's going to take it up on banc. Um, to, and so I think that's a, another issue that could get to the court. Uh, so there, I think it'll be a very uh, big term. After a, certainly a sleeper term this past year. Yes, <laughs> it was. Um, so what were your impressions of the newest member of the court, Neil Gorsuch? And do you think there's any areas in particular where he's going to make a big difference on the court next term? Uh, a big difference, I don't know. You know, we haven't had a, a new justice that made a big difference in the courts probably since um, Clarence Thomas, where, who replaced a justice that was very different in ideology. Uh, you could make an argument that Justice Alito replacing uh, Justice O'Connor was a big change also. Um, certainly Justice Ginsburg has made that point several times. Um, so, you know, I don't know that he changes the direction of the court so much, but I think um, he he brings a different style. He seems to be a very good writer. He seems to be uh, very prolific. Uh, he only wrote one majority opinion uh, for the court, but he wrote lots of concurring opinions and he wrote lots of dissents. Um, maybe he had a little time on his hand after the first thing was over. But, um, you know, I, I think that that's going to be the difference that we see. He certainly seems extremely confident. You know, he was a judge for uh, 10 years. Uh, it's not the it's not the norm at the Supreme Court that the new just justice is seen but not heard. Uh, certainly, <laughs> uh, both uh, Justices Sotomayor and Kagan are very active uh, participants in oral argument. Um, but, you know, uh, Gorsuch really jumped in there at the very beginning and uh, and really showed that he was both confident of the way he felt about cases and confident enough to split with uh, other justices when he felt that they weren't representing what he thought. So do you think we'll see another vacancy on the court in the next year or two? Boy, I wish I knew. Um, <laughs> uh, talk, uh, that's one thing that reporters do a lot of is write stories that don't happen uh, yeah. and uh, and get ready for those occurrences. You know, I mean, I think you look at the age of um, at, at least three members of the court. Uh, three members are uh, over 78, uh, and you think that there will be one uh, sometime soon. I think it's right that Justice Kennedy is considering retirement, but I don't know that that means he's made any kind of decision about when he wants to retire. Um, you know, he seems fully engaged in, in the court, and uh, as you say, these issues that come up are the ones that are particularly interesting to him. Uh, and so it's a, it's a really tough thing to know. You know, we also never know. We, we always think about it in terms of cases or politics or who would appoint their replacement and that kind of thing. But we don't really know what's going on in their private lives uh, mm -hmm. and how that affects a decision uh, about when they want to retire. And finally, if you could have a conversation with any Supreme Court justice, dead or living, who would you pick and what would you talk about? Well, um, let's see. I, I, I would pick two, but they're both named Marshall. 
<laughs> How about that? Uh, you know, it would certainly be interesting to uh, ask uh, Chief Justice Marshall, is this what you had in mind when uh, you uh, strengthened the court where you said that the court decides what the law is? Did did you think that it was going to become such an important institution uh, in the lo- everyday lives of Americans? Um And uh, I would love to talk to Thurgood Marshall, not so much about his time on the court, I think, but his time before he was on the court. You know, if you've read these books about the work that he did in civil rights, it's it's really chilling sometimes, the danger that he was in. Uh, And uh, Justice Kagan always talks about clerking for him and how he was one of the best storytellers uh, she's ever met and that the clerks would sort of gather around just to hear old war tales uh, from that time. And I think that would be fascinating. So are you going to see the movie? I am definitely (laughs) going to see the movie. And I've read uh, the books and, you know, I find it interesting. You know, it's um, uh, Justice Ginsburg, you talked about earlier her movie, and uh, she is often referred to, you know, as the Thurgood Marshall of women's mm-hmm. rights. And she always um, distanced herself from that and says that she came along at the right time for those issues and that she was never in danger. You know, that what she did uh, was important, but it didn't uh, it didn't involve the kind of bravery uh, that Thurgood Marshall uh, showed. And so I've always sort of admired the way she uh, doesn't want to sort of take that title on. Mm-hmm. It's always good to see uh, humility in, in a Supreme Court justice. Yeah, it's it's rare, but uh, <laughs> it, it happens once in a while. Uh, well, well, thanks for joining us. So My next pleasure. we're going to talk about the, the D.C. Circuit. It issued an opinion in an, import, in an important Second Amendment case uh, recently. So the, the D.C. Circuit invalidated the District of Columbia's law that restricted concealed carry permits to people who could show that they have a special need for self-protection that's distinguishable from the general community. So the Supreme Court struck down uh, the district's law that virtually banned possession of handguns in the home uh, in their landmark decision in 2008, uh, District of Columbia versus Heller. And then the D.C. District Court ruled against the city's first crack at a concealed carry uh, ban in 2014. So the D.C. City Council got back to work and they enacted the permit uh, requirements that were recently struck down, which would require applicants to allege serious threats of death or bodily harm and living or working in a high crime neighborhood was not sufficient. So in a two-to-one decision by Judge Thomas Griffith, the court held that the Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms protects the right to carry a handgun in public. Uh, Since the permit requirements essentially barred most people in the district from carrying a handgun, Griffith found this to be a virtual ban on carrying or bearing um, arms. He explained that the Second Amendment uh, doesn't secure a right to have some chance at self-defense and that it was unnecessary to decide the standard of review that applies, whether it's rational basis, intermediate, or strict scrutiny, uh, because, quote, no such analysis could ever sanction obliterations of an enumerated constitutional right. 
Other federal appeals courts, including the Second, Third, Fourth, and Ninth Circuits, have ruled in favor of similar laws. So the district will most likely ask the full D.C. Circuit to rehear the case. If the challengers prevail again, this would tee the issue up for Supreme Court review. Of course, the justices just declined to hear a similar case, uh, Peruta versus California, and this was challenging a another good reason requirement for concealed carry permits. Justices Thomas and Gorsuch dissented, saying that they would have heard the case. Since the ruling in the Heller case in 2008, which found that the Second Amendment protects an individual right to self-defense, and then the McDonald case, uh, McDonald versus Chicago in 2010, which found that the Second Amendment applies to the states through the 14th Amendment, the justices have seemed uninterested in taking up another Second Amendment case, uh, but clearly they've left plenty to be decided and the lower courts could use some guidance. And there are obviously two justices who are expressly um, interested in another case, uh, Thomas and Gorsuch. In uh, Thomas's dissent, he said, I see no reason to await another case. Like, they're coming up. We need to decide these things. Um, one of my favorite uh, lines from that dissent was, I find it extremely improbable that the framers understood the Second Amendment to protect little more than carrying a gun from the bedroom to the kitchen. Um, Wouldn't necessarily do much good there. <laughs> yes. No, and, you know, I really liked how he ended his, his opinion, too. He said, quote, for those of us who work in marbled halls guarded constantly by a vigilant and dedicated police force, the guarantees of the Second Amendment might seem antiquated. But the framers made a clear choice. They reserved to all Americans the right to bear arms for self-defense. And I do not think that we should stand idly, um, stand by idly while a state denies its citizens that right, particularly when their very lives may depend on it. So as a woman living in D.C., um, who make which the city has made it very hard for people to protect themselves, can't even carry pepper spray without registering it. Um, with the police department, I'm I'm very glad about this decision. Um, and uh, I thought it was also interesting that Justice Thomas quoted um, the apparent runner-up to fill um, the vacancy left by Justice Scalia, uh, Judge Tom Hardiman from the uh, Third Circuit. Um, he quoted Hardiman's dissent in a Third Circuit case dealing with a similar issue. So we're definitely going to keep a keep a close eye on this this case as it. uh, very likely moves forward. So we're going to wrap up with a new game, Supreme Association, where our guest Bob Barnes will tell us what comes to mind when we say a word or phrase related to the Supreme Court. Hmm. Are you ready? Yeah. (laughs) Sometimes my mind is blank on anything, but go ahead. It's a little bit like a a psychology free association game. Um, First, most influential Supreme Court opinion. Brown. Good choice. I dissent. You dissent from Brown? Or, no. No. <laughs> no, I do not <laughs> dissent from Brown. <laughs> I dissent. Um, I think of either Scalia or Ginsburg um, because they are the ones who you hear most uh, say that and uh, it, from the podium, uh, from the bench. And, uh, and those are the two I think of. I definitely think of uh, Ginsburg and how she has the different. Uh, I think they're called jabot. Yes, um, her, the descent jabot. Her neckwear. <laughs> she has her special one she wears when she's going to descent. Um, so, I always think of Justice Scalia because there's this great song um, that this band put on, um, <laughs> you know, singing about his descents that I think is great. Yeah, Neil Gorsuch. Confident. Keep and bear arms. Uh, unresolved, <laughs> we, as we just discussed. Uh, funny, funniest justice. Um, 
Well, I guess we we're talking about living. Uh, so I, I'll go with Kagan. Um, first Monday. Uh, first day of school. <laughs> See, for me, it's like Christmas morning, that first day when the justices are back. I just can't I wait. Elizabeth and I get very excited. <laughs> we're very excited. We yell yes. each other, at each other across the office. <laughs> okay. Best writer on the court. I'm going to have to do, do a tie if that's okay. Sure, sure. Uh, I, I, from my point of view, it's Roberts and Kagan. Um, and I think the reason is I've heard both of them say that they think uh, that Supreme Court opinions should be understandable to uh, intelligent people who happen to pick up one and are not lawyers. Um, Roberts has talked about his sisters um, who are smart but not lawyers, and he wants them to be able to understand it. And I feel like Kagan um, takes a lot of care to try to uh, explain what she's talking about, uh, even if it's a very technical issue. I love reading Kagan's opinions. She had a great – I think it might have been a dissent in that Fish case a few years ago, a criminal law challenge. And uh, she you know, trotted out some Dr. Seuss, one fish, two fish, red yeah. fish, blue fish. Um, yeah, she, she, she gets out there sometimes. She had a superhero one too that was, uh, <laughs> uh, was out there. All right, next up, Bicycle. Oh, that's got to be Breyer, right? <laughs> I, th- I think he's given it up. Has he? Oh, I, I think he bad. has. We always like keeping track of Breyer and his bicycle <laughs> accidents. <laughs> we need to have a running tally. Yes. Okay. Uh, Supreme Court cafeteria. I don't think it's that bad. <laughs> I know people complain about it, but, you know, a cafeteria is a cafeteria. I was surprised to learn in Jess Braven's recent piece that – um, the Supreme Court cafeteria has sweet potato fries, and they're only $2.30. So I think we might have an intern field trip over to the court <laughs> for sweet potato fries. Well, in that piece, I loved reading about how uh, Alito and, and Kagan had gone back and forth over, over the coffee and who, who picked the best no, coffee. No, it was Sotomayor. It was Sotomayor. Yeah. Oh, it was Sotomayor. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, that's right. Well, Kagan it tells the story about when they're all gathering for lunch and they say, you know, who's our representative of the cafeteria? Which she says, of course, they know it's her. <laughs> and then it's like someone says, this soup is awfully salty, as if she's supposed to do something about it. Yeah. You know, she gets a real A for her effort. It seems like a lot of the other justices didn't put in much effort being on the on the cafeteria committee. But she put in a lot in getting the frozen yogurt machine. Yeah, and- well, you know, she, she learned that it worked. She was famous as the dean of Harvard Law for offering free coffee <laughs> to students, and it made her beloved. And so she knows <laughs> the importance of food. <laughs> SCOTUS Fitness. Well, that has to be Ginsburg, right? I mean, <laughs> she, uh, has got the, she's got a book coming out. Her trainer has a book coming out. BJ's Body Justice? About it. Uh, and so, uh, y- yes, um, uh, you know, no one's ever actually seen her exercise so far as I know, but she certainly talks about it a lot. <laughs> That's hilarious. One more. Footnote. Oh. Footnote. Um, 
Well, I'm coming up blank with that, except that I know that they're important to read. Uh, <laughs> I, I expected that you would say footnote four from the famous Caroline Products decision. You know, I'm I, I was trying to avoid the obvious, but I you know, but then nothing good came, so I'm sorry. Or or the the new hot footnote footnote three from Trinity Trinity Lutheran and uh, yeah, that that was a good uh, that was a good one. <laughs> that was interesting. Well, uh, this is a really interesting to sort of pick your brain about uh, what comes to mind with particular phrases about. <laughs> the court. So thanks to our guest, Bob Barnes. This is our last episode of the season. We'll be back in the fall with season two. So thanks to our, uh, uh, thanks for listening to SCOTUS 101. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcast or SoundCloud. You can also follow us on Twitter at Tiffany H. Bates and at E.H. Slattery. And you can also email us at SCOTUS101 at heritage.org with questions, comments, or ideas for future episodes. 